Hello and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Dominique Pepper. On behalf of CHEST, I would like to welcome you to this month's CHEST podcast. My name is Dominique Pepper, and I'm the moderator of the CHEST podcast section. Thank you all for joining us today for what will be a terrific discussion on asthma-COPD overlap. Today, we're very fortunate to have Dr. Don Sin as our guest, and we'll be discussing his article entitled, Asthma-COPD Overlap. What are the important questions? Dr. Sin, can you please introduce yourself? Well, good morning, Dominique. Uh, my name is uh, Don Sin. I'm a respirologist or pulmonologist uh, at St. Paul's Hospital here in Vancouver, Canada. I'm also a professor of medicine at the University of British Columbia, also in Vancouver. An absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast with us, Don. So let's get started. What is asthma COPD overlap, and why is it so important for clinicians to be aware of this condition? Well, in clinical practice, we often see individuals who have features or traits of both asthma and COPD. And traditionally, we have excluded these uh, individuals from our diagnostic categories or have uh, just uh, used probably inaccurate terms to describe uh, these individuals, such as uh, asthmatic bronchitis or uh, fixed airflow uh, obstruction, um, diagnostic categories that really didn't make any sense. Um, and, and so back in 2015, both the GOLD uh, guidelines and GINA guideline committees got together and uh, acknowledged the existence of these uh, patients in our practice and articulated uh, the concept of asthma COPD overlap syndrome or asthma COPD overlap, uh, as we now call it. Uh, and this is now a diagnostic entity that has been um, proffered into the community and I think are increasingly used uh, to describe these individuals who have both features of asthma and COPD. And what are the implications for clinicians? Do we manage these patients differently if they are asthma-COPD overlap versus just asthma or just COPD? I think that's a very important and interesting question. Um, we know in therapeutics of COPD, for instance, uh, bronchodilators, long-acting bronchodilators, are frontline agents, whereas in asthma, inhaled corticosteroids are frontline agents. Uh, um, therapeutics. So uh, I think for practicing clinicians, it is important to know uh, whether we're dealing with predominantly asthmatic or predominantly COPD patients or individuals who have uh, relatively equal contributions of both asthma and COPD, so-called asthma-COPD overlap. And I think there is a uh, emerging consensus that individuals with asthma-COPD overlap should be treated with both uh, inhaled corticosteroids, and uh, long-acting uh, bronchodilators. So I think there are therapeutic implications for this diagnostic entity. 
And in terms of the prevalence of this disease, how big a problem is it? Um, we've always taught that, you know, asthma usually occurs in the younger folks, COPD, those who have smoked. Which patients are getting um, uh, asthma, COPD overlap, and how big of a problem is it in terms of clinicians seeing them in their practice? Mm-hmm. I, I think we're dealing with individuals over the age of 40 years. So we're not dealing with a pediatric population or even the adolescent population. Among those uh, 40 years of age or older, and if you look at the the so-called asthma population in our clinical practice, approximately one-third of them have features of asthma and COPD overlap. If you go to the flip side and look at our uh, so-called COPD patient population pool, approximately 20 to 25% have asthma COPD overlap features. So we're not dealing with a small uh, population. We're actually talking about a relatively big uh, group of patients who have these asthma COPD overlap features. And then in terms of how these patients present, um, if I saw an asthmatic and I was concerned about asthma COPD overlap, or if I saw a COPD patient and I was concerned about asthma COPD overlap, how do their clinical features differ from what we would usually see and uh, what are the clinical outcomes? I think this is an area of active investigation, so I don't think all of the answers are known yet. Uh, however, uh, if we go to the COPD patient population pool, those with asthma COPD overlap uh, tend to be uh, younger, have relatively low exposure history in terms of cigarette smoking or biomass exposure, And they tend to have a greater degree of bronchodilator reversibility uh, using beta-2 agonists as the stimulant. Clinically, they tend to present with more dyspnea and perhaps cough. So they're more symptomatic than the garden variety uh, COPD patients. And um, their rate of decline of lung function over time tends to be accelerated. If we go into the asthma pool of patients, the asthma COPD patients tend to have more um, severe airflow limitation. Uh, They tend to have a uh, history of cigarette smoking or biomass exposure, and they tend to be less responsive to uh, inhaled corticosteroids alone. And overall, they have a poor prognosis in terms of rates of hospitalization, uh, lung function decline, and even mortality. the, the asthma COPD overlap patients, on average, tend to have more symptoms and uh, worse prognosis than asthma alone or perhaps even COPD alone. So in terms of what you're telling us, it looks like this is a big clinical problem. These are probably the difficult-to-treat patients that we see in either our asthma clinics or our COPD patients. So maybe you could tell us what we know thus far in terms of the pathophysiology of disease and how this would inform what tests we as clinicians should be performing uh, to diagnose asthma COPD overlap. Um, yes, uh, but before we get there, I think we need to perhaps talk about some theories as to how uh, asthma COPD overlap uh, develops uh, in a given individual. So currently, there are three major theories in um, in the literature about the pathogenesis of asthma COPD overlap. Um, I think the most uh, common is the so-called Dutch hypothesis, 
where an individual uh, is born with uh, asthma or asthma diathesis and experiences uh, childhood asthma, they sort of outgrow it during adolescence and early adulthood. And, and then with adult exposures with um, cigarette smoking or biomass, they develop features of COPD. And then by the time they reach age 40 or 50, uh, they develop a relatively fixed airflow limitation, airway inflammation, and, and develop uh, symptoms, or in some cases, severe symptoms of asthma, COPD overlap. So that's one theory. The second theory is uh, that the asthma, COPD overlap represents a distinct entity at um, totally different pathogenesis than asthma or COPD alone, and that the uh, that asthma COPD really represents a unique set of traits and unique set of um, endotypes or pathogenesis. And then the third theory is uh, that um, the asthma COPD uh, is a bit of a coincidence. Asthma is common in the population, 10 to 20% have asthma. COPD is also common, especially among smokers. Uh, we're talking about 15 to 30%. And so, uh, by uh, coincidence, uh, some individuals have both uh, entities, um, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, both entities all at once. So, uh, those are the prevailing uh, theories of uh, asthma COPD overlap. What we do know is that these individuals have significant air, um, airway inflammation, and that air from airway inflammation is characterized uh, by type 2 inflammation in some individuals, whereas others have type 1 inflammation. So type 1 inflammation meaning uh, mostly neutrophilic, uh, but there are individuals who have predominantly type 2 inflammation um, characterized by eosinophilic uh, infiltration. And uh, there is airway remodeling, uh, meaning increased uh, um, thickness of basement membrane and extracellular matrix, matrix remodeling. And um, there's also a significant t uh, adaptive immune response with increased uh, characterization of lymphocytes, particularly CD8 uh, lymphocytes, into the uh, walls of, air, uh, of the airways. There may also be a proteolytic component uh, leading to um, some features of emphysema, but not as much as the garden variety uh, COPD. Um, so, uh, you know, even within the rubric of asthma COPD overlap, there may be some heterogeneity in the endotypes and pathogenesis uh, across patients. And of those three hypotheses, which uh, would you favor based on the available data? Is it the Dutch hypothesis? Is it that asthma and the COPD overlap is a separate entity? Or is you think it's a coincidental asthma and COPD just because of uh, the prevalence of disease? Yeah, I think in majority of cases, I think the, it is indeed uh, uh, consistent. What we see is consistent with the Dutch hypothesis. Um, uh, if you uh, probe patients uh, who uh, have asthma COPD overlap, uh, almost, uh, you know, I think 80% plus would tell uh, you that uh, they had childhood asthma, that uh, atopy, they had allergic rhinitis, and they may still have some of those features. And then they smoked uh, during adulthood, perhaps, uh, you know, for 10 to 20 years, and now they ha present with asthma COPD overlap. So I think the predominant cases uh, in the U.S. and Canada represent those uh, 
who are in that spectrum of airways disease, beginning with asthma, and then later on developing uh, more COPD features. So if you see a patient who presents with a history of asthma and, and, and smoking, and you're concerned about asthma COPD overlap, what is your approach in terms of pertinent questions that you ask in the history? What do you look for on the exam? And what the tests are you ordering on these patients? Yes. So one of the, I think, very, very important questions is to uh, probe these individuals about their childhood, uh, childhood uh, illnesses, uh, childhood history of asthma, uh, atopy, um, rhinitis, sinusitis. I think those, uh, that needs to be, I think, uh, well explored. Um, in terms of um, investigation, um, I think one of the uh, very useful ones, uh, uh, along with spirometry, is um, is uh, serum IgE, uh, peripheral uh, eosinophil count, and in select individuals, uh, you know, methicoline challenge tests to show airway hyperresponsiveness. Um, CT scans can also be helpful um, to look for features of emphysema. Um, and uh, airway remodeling. Um, and then I think some therapeutic responses. Uh, these ten, uh, patients tend to respond fairly well to inhaled corticosteroid containing uh, inhalers, but also to uh, uh, bronchodilators. Uh, they actually tend to, I think, respond better than the garden variety COPD patients. Um, in, I think in select uh, centers where they can do uh, induced sputum, I, looking at the eosinophil uh, population in induced sputum may also be helpful in distinguishing certainly um, asthma COPD uh, from uh, COPD. And in um, places like Japan where pheno is widely available, uh, getting some pheno uh, is also helpful. It tends to be elevated in asthma COPD overlap, whereas it's uh, normal or low in COPD patients. And then in terms of dosing of steroids, um, obviously with asthmatics, we tend to go with a higher dose of inhaled steroids. Uh, what dose of steroids are, would, would you be giving, um, of inhaled steroids would you be giving patients with asthma COPD overlap? And then uh, for patients who have elevated eosinophils, uh, what are the roles of um, uh, the drugs such as Nicola or um, uh, Facenra in uh, treating these patients? Um, I, you know, I think we have to start from the premise that uh, we don't have a lot of uh, good data. We don't have firm evi uh, evidence. We don't have high-quality evidence uh, in terms of therapeutics of asthma or uh, COPD overlap. And I think this is a very important point. The reason we don't have good uh, evidentiary basis for recommendation is that these patients have been systematically eliminated uh, from previous phase three trials, whether it's in asthma or COPD. So asthma trials would exclude um, those with COPD features. And in COPD trials, therapeutic trials, uh, individuals with a history or uh, of asthma will be systematically removed. So as a result, we don't really have good, um, um, you know, high-grade uh, evidence uh, to make uh, recommendations. I think anecdotally and based on observational studies, uh, I think most people use moderate to high doses of inhaled corticosteroids along with beta-2 
agonist or an anticholinergic. So a bronchodilator is almost always given along with inhaled corticosteroids. Uh, and in terms of uh, anti-IL-5 therapy uh, with, you know, ben, uh, benralizumab or uh, mepolizumab, I think, again, we don't have much uh, data to go by. But I think if they have features of a significant eosinophilic airways disease, and here I think uh, induced sputum or even bronchoscopy would be very useful to, um, to uh, document persistent uh, airway eosinophilia, then I think in the steroid refractory individuals who are highly symptomatic, um, a therapeutic trial of anti-IL-5 uh, therapies or biologics would be, I think, worthwhile. So, Don, you've uh, done a really great job in uh, explaining to our audience that this is a big problem, uh, that there are numerous challenges in terms of working these patients up and in terms of treating them. Based on your review of the data, what are pressing research needs um, that uh, investigators should be focusing on in order to better define the asthma COPD overlap syndrome and what therapeutic or uh, investigatory tests need to be explored? So I, I, I think we need to uh, obviously understand uh, its pathogenesis in a fuller and in a, a more lucid manner. Um, secondly, I think we have to understand some of the heterogeneity within this uh, diagnostic rubric. Uh, it is probably not one disease or one endotype. There are probably different uh, pathogenic mechanisms, and I think we need to understand that. Thirdly, um, we need to have high-quality uh, phase three trials uh, of these um, of therapeutics in this group of patients. Uh, as I've mentioned, you know, much of what we are uh, recommending is based on uh, anecdotes or expert opinions or based on observational studies, um, and and that is really a uh, you know uh, um, a barrier to evidence-based uh, medicine in asthma COPD overlap. And then fourthly, I think we have to understand um, how this disease presents in different uh, jurisdictions, different parts of the world, different continents. I think it is different uh, when you compare uh, asthma COPD overlap in North America versus, say, Asia uh, and Africa. So I think we have to understand the full spectrum of this. And then um, finally, um, I think we need to have better diagnostic tools for um, um, uh, diagnosing um, asthma COPD overlap. And that may consist of imaging or some biomarkers or um, um, some prediction rules. But we do need, I think, better diagnostic tools to make a better and more accurate diagnosis. But Don, I want Dig down a bit deeper in some of those uh, questions that you mentioned. So, what type of, uh, what are the different endotypes uh, clinicians or investigators should be aware of that you've read of? And the other question is, how have you seen a difference in clinical presentation between folks with asthma COPD overlap in Asia versus Africa versus America? Um, I think, I mean, one clear endotype is a. Um, a is um, ones related to type 2 inflammation. I think there is a subgroup of asthma COPD uh, overlap patients who's uh, primarily um, 
uh, driven by type 2 inflammation characterized by eosinophilic uh, airway uh, inflammation. But there is also a group of uh, asthma COPD overlap patients who don't have those features but appear to be driven by type 1 inflammation with predominance of uh, neutrophilia in the airways. And they, um, like in asthma and COPD, they don't seem to respond as well to inhaled corticosteroids uh, as those uh, with predominance of type 2. And then there is probably another uh, group that is uh, not characterized by uh, airway inflammation, so-called posse inflammation group, that um, uh, present uh, recurrently with exacerbations, but seem to be refractory to corticosteroids. Um, and then, I, you know, the, probably the fourth feature is, uh, or fourth potential endotype, is, are individuals who have an altered microbiome, and uh, their inflammation uh, is driven by the alteration in the microbiome uh, of the airways. So I think these are some of the, you, you know, plausible endotypes in asthma COPD overlap, and, and more research will be, need, uh, will be needed to explore these endotypes and then to develop biomarkers to diagnose these endotypes in clinical practice. Uh, as for the worldwide uh, presentation of asthma COPD overlap, it is quite interesting that um, in uh, North America and, and Western Europe, um, asthma COPD overlap um, tends to be uh, more female predominant um, in a ratio of two to one uh, uh, compared to males. Um, and they tend to be diagnosed um, later in life, say in 60s and 70s. In Asia, uh, uh, for example, uh, there's still a predominance of male uh, patients in the asthma COPD, and they tend to have a lot more um, sinus uh, complaints, sinus uh, sinusitis, either uh, recurrent or chronic sinusitis, and uh, they, they tend to have less atopy or features of atopy in Asia. So I think we're beginning to understand these things, but uh, obviously more research will be needed uh, to, to fully understand the phenotypic presentations across the world. Great. And then in terms of the reasons for, what do you think the reasons are for this uh, difference in Asia versus the Americas in terms of um, sex differences and in terms of clinical presentation? Where would you uh, hypothesize uh, the, the, the mechanism being? I think the underlying genetics or genetic factors are likely to be different. Um, we do have some genetic information, but they're predominantly in the white Caucasian population. Um, so, uh, you know, what we know in the Asian population or African uh, population is very, very uh, small amounts. So I think there is some genetic uh, differences, obviously, um, and also environmental um, so in Asia, for instance, there's a higher prevalence of uh, uh, infectious diseases such as tuberculosis. And even in childhood uh, infectious diseases, the, the, the prevalence of a variety of different pathogens is different in Asia than in uh, North America. Um, and then the smoking prevalence is also different uh, and exposure to uh, not only primary smoking, but secondary smoking 
and biomass exposure is different uh, in these countries. And I think that alters or modulates the presentation of asthma COPD in uh, later life. Yeah, I think you've highlighted a lot of uh, research questions that need to be addressed, and we appreciate you uh, the detailing them for us. In terms of those patients who are steroid refractory uh, with asthma COPD, um, obviously we need more um, uh, studies to be done. But from a practical point of view, if I'm a clinician who's uh, dealing with a steroid refractory asthma COPD, what would you recommend uh, uh, they consider in terms of therapeutics? So um, I think there are two aspects to that question. One is, are they truly refractory to inhaled corticosteroids, or are they just resistant to it? Uh, for the latter, if they're resistant, then perhaps uh, increasing the dose or doubling the dose of inhaled corticosteroids may be the way to go. And all patients uh, consider uh, long-acting bronchodilators, whether in beta-2 or antimuscarinic or both. Uh, I think there's very good uh, evidence now that uh, in certainly in the moderate to severe category, adding both the beta-2 agonists and anticholinergic um, is uh, very effective. And then uh, in a subset uh, where um, you know, patients are persistently uh, symptomatic and or having recurrent uh, exacerbations, consider azithromycin or long-term macrolide uh, prophylactic therapy. In COPD, we use 250 milligrams per day. Uh, I think in asthma, 500 milligrams Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We don't have uh, clear evidence in the asthma COPD overlap, but I think one of those two regimens um, in individuals who um, have normal QT interval and uh, are not uh, particularly uh, susceptible to other adverse effects of uh, macrolide uh, I think macrolite uh, uh, can be considered. And then in a smaller subset, I think uh, exploring further the treatable traits such as uh, uh, tissue eosinophilia or peripheral eosinophilia uh, or um, very high uh, serum IgE levels, consider you know biologics um, in the form of anti-IL-5 or anti-IgE respectively um, as a therapeutic trial. But again, I, I think we, uh, you know, we have to emphasize that we don't have a lot of evidentiary basis to make those recommendations. Uh, we are inferring from uh, uh, the asthma literature and, and to a lesser uh, extent, the COPD literature about those therapeutic recommendations. Uh, Don, you've done a really uh, fantastic job in highlighting uh, the importance of asthma COPD overlap, and we definitely encourage our readers to um, uh, peruse your article that will be in the Chester publication. Don, I do want to give you um, the opportunity to leave our audience with any concluding remarks uh, during the preparation for this podcast. Was there anything that we haven't covered yet um, or that you want our audience to be aware of in terms of asthma COPD overlap? Um, I think the, the audience should understand that uh, this is an emerging field. Uh, we do not, uh, as of yet, have an, a universal definition of asthma COPD overlap. Um, there are many uh, definitions that have been proffered by a variety of uh, societies, including American Thoracic Society, European um, Respiratory Society, Gold, GINA, and so on. But there is no universal uh, definition. And this is, again, something that needs to be worked on. 
by the community so that uh, practicing clinicians can use um, these diagnostic criteria to make, I think, accurate diagnosis of asthma COPD overlap. And I think it's uh, also very important to follow these patients closely in practice uh, uh, because these individuals are uh, very susceptible to experiencing rapid decline in lung function. Uh, and I certainly have had, have, have had patients who present uh, five or 10 years later uh, um, with loss of um, you know, 30 or 40 or 50% in lung function. So I think it's very important to follow these patients closely um, and to intervene um, you know, uh, quickly to prevent uh, significant loss in uh, lung function. And the loss of lung function can ha- occur even in the absence of, uh, uh, of continued smoking. So um, the smoking cessation we know is protective, but um, some individuals with asthma over, uh, COPD overlap syndrome and to have accelerated decline in lung function, even without obvious exposures. So these individuals should be followed very closely and to intervene as quickly as possible. Yeah, we definitely need to emphasize the importance of uh, smoking prevention as well as uh, smoking cessation. Don, thank you so much for a really outstanding podcast, and uh, we want to thank you for a great conversation, and also thank our chess community for joining us. I'm Dominic Tepper, and this is a chess podcast.